Do you remember back in the day when you could download themes for your computer and it included like desktops and like styles of your mouse cursor and like files oh, yeah. and... and viruses? Yeah, and yes. yeah. Well, I had like a Scream <laughs> 2 theme on my computer and my computer is the one that like my family used and my mom was checking her emails one night at like 2.30 in the morning and I had, and I had just downloaded the Scream 2 theme and the volume was all the way up and I... She... And when she got her emails, the email chime was, do you want to die tonight, Cece? And like at 2.30, I'm like, what? And then my mom's like, what is this? <laughs> so uh, it kind of makes me think of the story... Um, friend of a, 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 a friend who's um his you know, a friend of mine had an older sister and um she, she was home alone and i guess his dad had called his brother and was i called her brother and was like hey what are you up to he's like well i'm out and he's like oh where's your sister he's like she's at home he's like oh okay so what the dad did was he like he like parked in such a way where he could see into their house yeah and like they had just watched Scream, I think that was what the deal is. Like they had just watched, like the, the the two kids had just watched Scream, so he calls and it, like he calls from like a work phone or something, so it's a different number. And he like is watching her through the window and is like doing the whole thing. It's like, was that pizza good? And <laughs> nice. She like legitimately had like a traumatic experience, and it was her dad. That's great. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Masters of Divinity. I'm here. I'm your moderator. I'm JP, and I'm here with Father Chuck. Hey. And I'm also here with uh, Matt. Hey. <laughs> I think he was trying to do the scream voice with that one. Is that? No. Okay. <laughs> no, that would that would be equally as pathetic. But no, it was not. It'd be like the hello. I can't. Nope. Nope. Can't do it. That'd be like it's a me attempting high a British pitch. accent. You know, you. <laughs> Not that high pitched. Um, so today, if you could, if you haven't guessed, uh, this is our Halloween episode, and we're talking about Scream. Hello. Hello. Who is this? You tell me your name, I'll tell you mine. Uh, I don't think so. What's that noise? Popcorn. You making popcorn? Well, I'm getting ready to watch a video. Really? What? I'll do some scary movie. You like scary movies? Uh-huh. You never told me your name. Why do you want to know my name? I want to know who I'm looking at. Someone is playing a deadly game. It all began with a scream over 911. Someone who's seen one too many scary movies. Now, he's taken his love of fear. Hello? Hello, Sydney. One step too far. Do you like scary movies? What's the point? They're all the same. Some stupid killer stalking some big-breasted girl who can't act who's always running up the stairs when she should be going out the front door. It's insulting. There are certain rules that one must abide by in order to successfully survive a scary movie. Number one, you can never have sex. Never, ever, 
ever, under any circumstances, say, I'll be right back. Because you won't be back. Give me another beer, you want one? Yeah, sure. I'll be right back! You do not make the rules. The police are always on track, but they watch Palm Night and save time. He just kills by them. Don't answer the phone. Can I just say, um, I I'm loving our podcast probably even more than usual as of late. Wait, we're not we're not talking about Halloween three. I'm on the wrong podcast. <laughs> no, I have to hang up. No, there's like a no, million. Sorry, you still loving our still loving our podcast? Carry on. Okay. <laughs> because uh, we've been talking, I think, for maybe six straight episodes about movies. It's and uh, I, I just got to say, I feel like I'm on my game. I'm, I'm probably more on my game than I usually am. And uh, it's been nice. It's been fun. I dig it. I don't know how you guys feel. I could keep doing it. You know, <laughs> I'm down for whatever, man. <laughs> uh, but today we're going to be talking about Scream. And um, I'm really excited to talk about it for a number of reasons. For one, it's a, it's a movie that all three of us have kind of a unique fondness for. And if you've been listening to the podcast, you've probably noticed that we actually mention it a lot. I, I Usually because of the, the meta textual uh, nature of Scream um, does kind of have like a postmodern bent to it. And, you know, we do get into a lot of sort of postmodern discussion. So that kind of works its way into it. Right. Um, every time we talk about horror movies, it, it comes up as well. And also it was just like a very popular thing to happen in our formative, formative, I can't get words out of my mouth. Formative years. Well, if you remember, like it hit that it hit that weird time where like we had this just glut of copycat horror movies, but we also had like Buffy on TV, we had Angel on TV, mm-hmm. and then The Matrix came around around the same time. But I just but if you remember, the scary movie, the parody of the Scream movies did a matrix riff. oh that's yeah they did <laughs> that's kind of one of the reasons why i really wanted to see it too yeah um, every time i saw bullet time in a trailer i always saw that movie <laughs> that was easy interesting but yeah jp that moment you know 1996 let's see i was how old was i in 1996 i was 14 15 14 15 and when that movie came out that was like that right at that cusp of like feeling like you're starting to be kind of a grown-up and you're starting to sort of develop your own tastes and this is also one of the first movies i ever remember seeing where like i was hanging out with friends Mm -hmm. and then like every horror like there have been like no horror movies i never really had any interest in them and then suddenly there was just nothing but teen slashers left and right and honestly because scream gave birth to the greatest of all of them and that is the faculty (laughs) yes and that's why we should talk about this uh we need to do a faculty episode put a pin on that um that's a great little intro for yourself chuck i i remember watching scream interesting thing about scream that's not like other horror films it came out around christmas time did it it did it came out around (laughs) 
uh, I think it was December 20th, 1996. Okay. See, and, I only ever, by the way, I only ever saw it on home video. So yeah, I, I did too. The yeah. I did too. And then a year later, Scream 2 came out also around Christmas. In just a year, by the way. Um, and then Scream 3 came out in February 2000, so it kind of broke that Christmas cycle. Uh, but that's because Scream 3 had a lot of production problems. Um, and also a lot of cultural problems. We'll get into that. And script problems and movie problems. Yeah, Scream 3 was a disaster, really, that they were just kind of coasting on. Um, so, yeah, that I, I saw it the following summer. I don't know. I, I remember the sort of cultural upheaval when it happened. Everyone in school was talking about it. I had no interest in it. The trailers made it look like just a regular old thriller. Because um, I, I, I don't remember seeing Ghostface in the trailers. And I, I used a trailer in a video I made recently. And Ghostface is actually used very sparingly, so I could see that. Um, so it was probably say it was like a surprise. So I, that's probably why I didn't see it. And one person said that the main character this is so dumb. The main character gets killed in the first five minutes. And I remember being like, well, that sounds stupid. Um, but then uh, I decided to see it the following summer because I was here, in my home here, uh, and our our local country store that I used to that that's still there by the way and still run by the same woman who was working there when I went to rent Scream from her. Uh, I rented it because I was staying home alone. I just wanted to get a bunch of scary movies. I'm like, I'll try this Scream movie, and I was like, it like blew my mind. This movie, it like it blew my little mind. Um, it made me love slashers. It got me like kind of back into horror and just like the twist that there were, okay, spoilers, spoilers for a 26 year, 24 year old movie. Um, the, the, the twist that it was both Billy and Stu, that were the killers. I, I had no idea because I, this whole movie, I'm, I am trying to figure out, I'm like, you know, was, where's that, what's that, uh, it's always sunny in Philadelphia meme where he says like, like all the charts yeah. behind him, Pepe Sylvia. I was like that watching this movie. I'm like writing notes like he it could be him, it could be him. And then it, like when they revealed, I just like boom. I was like what? Yeah, let's 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 pause here for a moment because I, I want to note that what a brilliant thing that they give away that Billy Loomis is the killer like right off the bat. Like that's obvious like from the up like up front who that he is one, yeah. right? But then it throws a bunch of like make you doubt kind of stuff oh, about yeah. it. But they do such a good job of hiding the fact that Stu is – and that there's two of them. Like, Oh, yeah. And like you said, in 1996, it was like, what? <laughs> yeah. Which I wonder now, did this kick off that trend? Because every one of these slasher movies had a twist, and everybody was trying to figure out the twist. And well, then Every thriller had a that, twist after that. Right, but then like within that time frame, we got The Sixth Sense. Yes. Fight Club. Which, of course – and then Fight Club, yeah. Usual saying, suspects, like, it, yeah. All had big <laughs> twists, um, and then they went like crazy. And there's like a couple movies that came out in the early 2000s. There's a movie called Basic with John Travolta and Samuel Jackson, which is like a twist every 30 minutes of that movie. Um, and I think, then I think, I think Father, I think Father Chuck wanted to ask if you think that it influenced the Sixth Sense. I think, yeah, it that's did. What I, to say. I think it did. But JP just started like five upping him instead of one upping <laughs> him by listing all the other twists. <laughs> Uh, there's that movie Identity, which the whole movie is just it just twists it's, tw- it's twist the movie. Um, but I, I mentioned uh, that Identity, yeah, with Sorry, John Cusack. Identity, the, the hotel, yeah, yeah, yep. Memento, yeah, 
<laughs> Memento. I mean, oh, totally. Like okay, you so could that trace. That one's awesome. That's different. Yeah, the late '90s, early 2000s. There were trends of just like we need a movie that's gonna blow your mind with like with our creativity and with the twist ending. Like, well, we playing were with all, your perception. We were all waiting. We were all waiting for the end of the world with the 2000 bug. <laughs> so, like, they had to constantly keep us guessing and in suspense because our life was lived in suspense. Yeah. So. I mean, I would really like to dwell YTK, on this. We I mean, we don't have to do this right now, but I would really like to dwell on this, on, on the state, on how, like, this has impacted cinema because of the way that the expectation of the twist and how that ended up giving rise to, like, prestige television and, you know, like, this whole thing, like, that Lost later gave us. is like, oh, it's all got to be connected. It's all got to have something, yeah. right? Because I, I just remember when The oh, Matrix yeah. was out was there was this feeling that the sequels are going to reveal some kind of twist, Mm-hmm. Or like, or when Starship Troopers was out, everyone expected, I remember a bunch of my friends expected the movie to wind up being that there was a twist to it, that, you know, there was, it, you know, and that, that, I think that's why people got let down by that movie, because they, they, it was played very straight over the fact that it was, yeah, but even Sleepy Hollow that came out around the same time has like yeah. a scream style twist to it, <laughs> a yes. movie that like probably shouldn't have one. <laughs> they just kind of like put it in there. I love that movie. But yeah, I. The fact that they took Ichabod Crane and made him into a detective rather than a school teacher, it was yeah. a little bit ridiculous to me. I, I, I love, I just have to say, Chuck, because this is the second time we brought this movie up in our podcast in like the last couple episodes. I love the aesthetic of that movie and the yeah. feel and the like the ambiance of it. But the movie itself is crap. But I would watch it endlessly because of the look to it and the like. It gets you in the mood. It. Yeah. It was the last. It was the last. It was the last true Tim Burton movie. I would say so, probably. Yeah. Without... He went. He went all. He went all CGI crazy after that because the movie he made after that was um, Planet of the Apes. Oh. And he never recovered from that movie. Oh no no. No, it was such a success. <laughs> so, Matt, what is your uh, – Chuck and I gave our little histories with Scream. What What is uh, your little history with Scream? I didn't really give my, didn't really give my history with Scream. I mean, you, you told me how you saw it and stuff. I mean, Nobody you wanna... really cares what Chuck thinks. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, you just wanted to launch right into the deep discussion that I think this whole episode was supposed to build toward. And we'll, we'll instead, you're just like – I'm so much better than all of you, and dove right into it. Um, no, I first of all am freaking out, and my world is turned upside down, and I don't know how to handle it because I just realized as you're talking, and I'm starting to do math in my head. I was only twelve when this movie came out. Really? Yeah, I think I, I was thirteen. Yeah. Twelve. I'm not even sure how I saw this movie because I grew up in a home that I was not allowed to watch rated R or scary movies. I like I wasn't allowed to watch them until I I'm still not allowed to watch them. I still don't like to tell my parents I watch rated R movies (laughs) and I've lived on my own for almost as long as I would. I I don't even know. But um, but yeah, I don't even know how I saw this. I'm pretty sure it has to do with Joe's house which JP will know that. I'm not going to give last names on this or anything, but pretty sure it has to do with Joe's house and, like, staying over there for the for the evenings and watching it while he got, like, stoned and his mom brought, like, Taco Bell home at 3 in the morning every night because she worked nights, and we loved that. Um, but anyway, 
not even sure how I saw it because I was 12, but I remember when this came out and there was a massive shift in the universe, like Chuck's talking about, where before this, scary movies were something that you like didn't admit you were a fan of, you just kind of whispered about them, and... I think before Scream, I remember, like, begging our dad to let us watch, like, Friday the 13th 4 or something was going to be on TBS. That's a good one. So, like, we were begging him to, like, just let us watch it. All the bad words and stuff are going to be edited out so we can just see it. (laughs) And he was saying how scary it's going to be, and he finally let us watch it. And I didn't get past, like, where he threw a hatchet into somebody's back. Um, But... Before that was scary movies before this, and it really was right before this. I'm pretty sure every scary movie on earth was Freddy, Jason, or Michael Myers, like for a long time. Um, Yeah. Oh my gosh, we can talk about that soon because guess who just decided to randomly dive into that series? (laughs) Oh Um, no. Yeah, I want to dive back out, but I'm drowning. But anyway, (laughs) Matt's um, become a hood rat. (laughs) But such a hood rat such a oh man those movies oh the last one origins that's a real winner guys but um anyway the horror movies were something that like you didn't admit you were watching much less these like teens getting killed by some psychopath with knives thing and then scream came out and it was okay to admit that you watched it, and it was cool to say that you saw this one, and everybody was talking about it. And the world changed, because after that, I remember, it went from Scream to I Know What You Did Last Summer, to The Faculty, to um, What Lies Beneath. Urban Legend. Teaching to, Mrs. Tingle. Teaching Mrs. Tingle. Just what? Yeah, Teaching Mrs. Tingle. Don't forget about that one. Urban legend. Um, supposed to be called Killing, but the world still wasn't ready for that title. Um, yeah, it, it just this this insane shift took place where like scary movies became the norm, and that then for a long of, uh, of uh, Boy Meets World. For a long, long, long time, after Scream, like Scream made it cool, yeah. and then What Lies Beneath turned every scary movie into a PG thirteen horror movie. And we went through a season of, like, endless PG-13 with The Ring, The Grudge, The This, The That, The Who's a What's It. All, by the way, for Father Chuck's sake, rip-offs of Japanese culture. But You but, say that as though I don't know it already. <laughs> but, oh, I know you know. I'm saying it for our audience. But, but anyway, yeah. This movie. Sorry, JP. I'll end it with this statement. Go ahead. This movie was when my interest in scary movies, which I was already somewhat into, became an obsession because I also could talk about it with other people. So this changed like the level of my watching them drastically. Because now even you watch the stupidest, worst horror movie on earth, you can still find somebody who will laugh and enjoy it with you for the simple fact that horror movies are accepted now mm-hmm. yeah i think scream turned them into mainstream well cool. scream I, I, I scream to me is this movie that was for people kind of like us and a lot of people of our age group that friday night was this is I'll, I'll, I'll put my story and everybody has their version of this but like friday night was 
you know, sometimes your friends would come over and hang out or stay at your house or something. But it was Friday night was go to Blockbuster or well, go over to Subway, get your Subway sandwiches <laughs> while they're making them. Go over to Blockbuster and walk around in Blockbuster and just look at the movies, look at the covers, argue, debate, fight with your friends about what you want to watch. Right. I mean, I was the sort of kid that. Like when my mom would go to the grocery store, you know, she would let I would walk around and you know, you know how like Albertsons and some of the grocery stores used to have like video rental sections in oh, them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and you're I, going way back though. You're old. <laughs> yeah, but I I would I would just like sort of wander around in those, and I just remember I was always intrigued by the the, the horror movie covers. There was something taboo about it, right? And I've talked about this before. Like the Fright Night poster is just like perfection. Yes. Um, you know, Jason takes Manhattan. Like, I just remember like seeing all of those like movies, like the covers and knowing like I was never gonna be able to allowed to see them, but I was so intrigued by them. Right. Like critters and all that. The first, and, hor- the, the first horror movie VHS cover I ever saw that like made me go, Whoa, what is that? Is the nightmare on Elm street three, the dream warriors box yes. because it has the dream so, warriors like on his claws, but they all have weapons. And I'm like, yeah. Oh, they fight Freddie. <laughs> Yeah, I just so like going through seeing all of this stuff like growing up with that, like just growing up in video stores and all of and, and everything. I mean, I think that's why like the character of Randy is in Scream, right? He's yeah. sort of an audience surrogate for all of us who grew oh, up in yeah. video stores. And so and so Scream was in a lot of ways like a love letter to us kids who like it was me- it was a movie that was meant to be watched on a VHS with like a group of friends in a living room. Yeah. You know. Yeah, yeah that can can I put the video store thing into context for the people who have no idea what a video store thing is really quick? Just Nobody that young. And is I, want to see, I want to see if you guys <laughs> agree. And then, and then you can go back to what you were saying. Cause I'm sidetracking for one second. Blockbuster is Netflix. Hollywood video is Hulu and the video stores in the grocery stores and stuff like you're talking about is Amazon prime. <laughs> Probably Amazon Prime's where you find like all the obs- obscure crap that you didn't even know existed because nobody watches it anyway. Those I... were those video stories like Chuck's talking about where I wandered around and found stuff that I, I ju- you just never Probably. heard of it and still enjoy it. But yeah. go ahead. That, 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 that makes sense. <laughs> Although I, I found all my obscure horror movies at Hollywood Video. Um, but that's yeah, we which have... is Hulu right now with Huluween and all that stuff. No, the, <laughs> oh, the, we the, had... The the grocery store ones were like the the B movies, just like Amazon Prime is an endless list of B movies. Yeah, but go ahead. Yeah, I I uh, we had a place. I mean, growing up in Pine Hills, you know, the hood outside of downtown Orlando, we had something called sixteen thousand movies. That was like our like local video thing. Awesome. Sixteen thousand movies, and it was such a big deal. And then they ended up becoming a blockbuster. Um, but yeah, we actually had a blockbuster across the street from a blockbuster um in in my neighborhood at one point um and we were loyal to the one that was in the public shopping center and not the one that was in the winn dixie shopping center um for whatever reason (laughs) but um but yeah like i just you know i just feel like this movie is definitely of that and it's meant it's meant for that generation it is you know and again randy's rand the character of randy is the is the um He's the audience surrogate. He's the one that. He, well, no, it, it, yeah, yes and no, because I have a theory. I agree with you 100%, but he was so much more, and that's what yeah. I want to get into. It's interesting you talk about like who the movie is for, because I thought about this a lot, 
And it's definitely, when you think about the audience, the young audience at the time, you know, teenagers and maybe a little bit older, you have Generation X and the old millennials, right? And we all kind of enjoyed the same things because we grew mm-hmm. up, I, I always say we grew up in Gen X's shadows, so we watched their movies, listened to their music and stuff. Right. So we basically had this same kind of taste, some kind of opinions um, that sort of disaffected, you know, somewhat ironic, sarcastic, kind of cynical outlook on media and whatnot, you know? And it's definitely, it's for that audience because it it is like, if if you really watch horror films, and I mean like all of them, they're, they're not really, the rules and stuff and what they're referring to isn't necessarily correct. It's just sort of a broad sense of horror. It's slashers mostly. Right. And if you had like a broad cultural sense of slasher films, that's what this movie was appealing to. Like the whole like, I'll be right back kind of thing. You know, or you know, and and Sydney's little thing when she's on the phone with Ghostface, they Ghostface asks her, uh, "Do you like scary movies?" And she says, "What's the point? They're all the same." Some big breasted girl runs up the front, runs up the the stairs when she should be running out the front door. It's insulting. She ran out the front door. That's how we all felt about slasher films, and so they made a movie that not only addressed that, but also the movie is quality. <laughs> Wes Craven is is actually like, if you've watched all of his films, they're they're really good, but they're not as good as Scream. Scream has like tech, his technique is down. It is really good, and he's throwing back to stuff that Halloween was doing, which is actually kind of groundbreaking. Halloween not really a slasher. The what Halloween centers on suspense, building suspense, and the characters are grounded, and they're actually like real teenagers. Friday the Thirteenth movie, it's body count. The teenagers aren't real. They all terrible actors. And you, you only saw a slasher movie before what Sydney was saying. Sla- but Scream injects a lot of intelligence, a lot of technique in how it was shot, especially that opening scene, which, I mean, yeah. we talked about, like, Raiders of the Lost Ark was the first time Steven Spielberg did away with coverage and planned every shot. I'm pretty sure, sh- I, I would bet that entire sequence was all planned out because it's so tight and it flows so perfectly. And there's so many beautiful, sweeping, tracking shots and creepy establishing, voyeuristic establishing shots. It's beautifully made. It's almost like a separate movie. Yeah, it is. But it sets the stage so perfectly um, that they they grab you with that scene. And like you, you, that's like you're already invested in the rest of the film. They already have you. They can do whatever they want after that, you know? Um, so... It's definitely it's 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 funny because it's both an ode, but also like admitting its shortcomings as a, as a genre, mm-hmm. and so that really that is how they captured that audience, and and yeah. like and like Halloween, so, all the imitators didn't get it. <laughs> well, and I would say too yeah, that it, to counter to counter your idea of that like media cynicism piece. I mean, I think that the, the difference with with Scream is that. I don't think it's it's not a cynical movie, and not quite. It, tr- it treats movies as like a text. Sure. And yeah, and well, I, I, have, I think I have, it was one of the first yeah. movies to really do that, at least on a popular level. Right. I think so too. I think so. Yeah, but it does it when what's what's smart about that? It does treat it as text, but it also subverts that text. Because right. they're establishing rules to the, to the Sasha movie, right? Like Randy's speech, which 
is, you know, uh, you can't have sex. You can't do drugs or uh, drink beer. Don't say I'll be right back. Basically, don't sin, right? And it was always kind of accepted that these were like, like I said, broadly. Like, right. that's why Jason killed people is because they were sinning, right? Because right. they were going on having sex and doing drugs. Sydney's character is fascinating to me because she is established as a typical final girl. She's vulnerable um, and because her mother was killed a year, a year prior and her dad suddenly disappears. So she's all by herself and she's dealing with all of the trauma and fallout from you know her mother's murder. Um, and she's also virginal, essentially. But she subverts that whole trope by going against the established rules. And by doing that, she's, like, be, being able to, like, go past her trauma, which helps her survive. By the way, you should probably, really quickly, you should probably define final girl. Because that's girl. a term that some of our well, audience... That, well, that, oh, 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 yeah. well, okay. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Matt wants we're to make a point. <laughs> on yeah, we're changing topics on me here, and I can't keep up with the two of you. Um, because Sorry, I've been thinking about right that. I spent 24 hours writing notes on this movie, so I... I'm like good. I'm ready to go. I don't. I don't doubt it because I've been endlessly thinking about it too, and um, everything you guys are saying right now is the stuff I wanted to touch on. Chuck and JP, you both know that I randomly decided I'm going to re-listen to this short run eight episode podcast. Um, what I didn't expect was to listen to the entire thing in one day, but it was called Halloween Unmasked, and it's a podcast that is literally eight episodes diving into the movie Halloween. And it's really good. Black Christmas is kind of credited as being like the birthplace of a slasher movie, but Halloween is the one that like changed everything and where these rules came from. They started there. And it was a mistake because it was not what the movie was meant to portray. Right, yeah. But it's what people picked up on. Because it's Lord what other Strode, people ran with in their other films. Exactly. Laurie Strode was a character that was meant to be feminist in nature. They had a uh, a lady writing the dialogue for the teens and for her. I can't think of the name. Give me the Debra, name. Deborah Hill. Thank you. Deborah Hill, Legendary who Deborah was Hill. a genius. Yes. And she wrote and directed the scenes that are why they feel like actual high school girls instead of like two-dimensional characters they exactly. felt real because of her directing and her lines um anyway they wrote this character to be strong powerful to stand out in the end but a porn director picked up on the fact that hey these are teenage girls showing their breasts and dying and he decided i can do that too and he made a movie called friday the 13th yep. where it became about body count where Michael Myers kills, like, five people in the first Halloween movie. So Jason kills, like, 500 in the first Friday the 13th. Like, the goal then becomes a slasher movie is about to get the clothes off. The, 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 the movie becomes get the clothes off and kill as many as you can. Um, whereas Matt, Halloween Matt, meant it to me. Yep. Matt, you, you lost the game. You said Jason in the first Friday the 13th movie. Yeah, yeah, his mom. I know. It's the same mistake. For the record, that's a perfect slip for me to make. Because it's the same reason that Sydney died. I mean, not Sydney, that Drew Casey. Barrymore dies in the openings in Casey. Thank you. Um, but 
Halloween kind of like shifted everything and turned it into this slasher movie. But Friday the 13th is what we have to blame for the whole like virgins are the final girl, which I'll get to and start and I'll let JP finish. But Friday the 13th literally established the quote unquote rule that if you do something bad, you get killed because his mom even says that at one point, these kids were having sex while he was dying in the water. And that's why she's killing all of them. Yep. Whereas Laurie Strode smokes pot like right at the beginning of the movie yeah. and she lives till the end. But, um, but what screen did to touch on your Randy character thing is I think that it was made for people like us, Chuck, who love movies. I think Randy was our stand in to be the one explaining it. And yet he was far beyond that. in the point that when we watched him explain it, we went, that is everything I wanted them to understand because the movie, the audience that's intended for the movie is everybody but us. Right. But it was made for us at the same time, meaning when we watched it, we're jumping up and down, pumping our arm, going, finally, they're going to get it. And what it was made for is people actually got it because it it set up this perfect idea for scary movies of why we love them, why they work, why when they're done right, they're amazing, while they also poked fun at everything that we also love them for when they're cheesy, horrible, and dumb. We love scary movies. And my perfect example for that is Henry Winkler as the principal. Yeah. Um, Like, he is the purposefully... He is amazing in the movie, but he is purposefully campy, cheesy... Like, he's everything that people would point at a scary movie and go, this is why this movie sucks. But the fact that they picked him, and it's the Fonz as a principal who's died after after trying on the mask. Like, they did everything perfectly to get everybody else to laugh at it and go, oh, that's why they even love the bad scary movies. Because it's fun to watch that, too. Like, they nailed the camp aspect of it also. Um, and then the lead-in... With Laurie Strode, JP, and I'm going to turn it over to you. Sorry. It's okay. But the lead-in to, to that is the final girl is the concept of everybody in the movie dies, but the final girl who kills whoever our, our antagonist, whoever our monster is. Um, she stops it. She always, quote-unquote, kills it, but there's a billion sequels, so we know they're never dead, which is also why Sydney shoots him in the head again and says not in my movie and the one like anyway um but the final girl is supposed to be innocent a virgin she loves like all good things and she doesn't do anything bad through the movie that those are the quote-unquote rules of a final girl and also lead into so many amazing movies after that just point out the stupidity of where those came from and where they go including the movie final girls which if you haven't seen, I just watched again, and I love it. But, JP, all you, because I know you're dying I, to go, yes, but actually, and I want to hear it for real. So uh, go. Look, I wish look, I had more time. Notes too. <laughs> you have, I, like, four pages of notes. I talked for two seconds. You all suck. I know I'm bad. Uh, it's, 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 mar- I'm, uh, it's marginalia to, like, other notes that I have here. This is actually <laughs> sermon That's notes. a sermon. That's a sermon, and he just wrote Ghostface in the margin. Here's, I'm really yeah. interested to see how Sunday turns out. <laughs> Here's the thing, guys. This when is going to... You're going to, like... 
you're probably gonna laugh at me, but I hold I hold in my hand. I hold in my hand the very text that coined the term "Final Girl," and it's a book called "Men, Women, and Chainsaws" by uh, Carol J. Clover. Um, and crap, I wish I knew where she actually makes the definition of a final girl. But what's interesting about defining the, defining the final girl is people are usually wrong. And she has even noted that throughout the years. A fi- like um, Ripley in Aliens, not a final girl. Um, Reagan in The Exorcist, not a final girl. Um, she would probably even argue that like Sydney is not necessarily a final girl. Uh, because the point of the final girl... Yeah, but that's on purpose. But go ahead. Right. Sort of. Because, I mean, even even Nancy and A Nightmare on Elm Street 3 would also probably not be consider- considered a final girl by her definition. I have to read more into it. Maybe. she, she probably, I know she talks about the movie in the book. Um, but Wait, 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 wait. Sorry. Nancy and what? Back up again, because I missed that comment. Nancy and A Nightmare on Elm Street. Okay, got it. Carry on. Just, I just want to say, uh, for the normies out here, I'm in the same headspace as you are right now. <laughs> a final girl is very literally just the last girl that survives. Um, fighting, back, fighting back against the killer, foiling the killer, outsmarting the killer, um, has nothing to do with it. She's just the last one to survive. And actually, Carol Clover, who, who, who again, uh, coined the term... She refers to women who fight back in the end, someone like Nancy or Sydney, as like uh, an, an avenging girl. Um, so that's so a, a very perfect example of the final girl would be like Sally in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, she doesn't outsmart Leatherface. She just gets away from him. <laughs> and she every, while all, all of her friends are dead, she escapes. Movie ends. And she... The, the, she makes the point of the final girl is that she is the example sort of used as to why bad things happen to people. It's because they have sex, uh, they do drugs. It's, it is sort of, if you're not a final girl, you're going to get punished in some way. Um, so that's which, kind of my basic understanding is- of the academic term. Final girl. Final girl these days just means like right. the girl's a main character in a horror movie. <laughs> right. But which is funny because the whole point to Laurie Strode, who kind of set into motion this concept of the final girl, yeah. the whole point to that movie was bad things happen to anybody. Yeah, and also was John Carpenter was trying Halloween. John Carpenter was trying to say that she survives because she's basically the same as Michael Myers, that they're both repressing something. Um, and that, you know, she was never in a situation where she could be caught off guard. So it's, it's, it's just, yeah. And you're right. You were right. That, that, that porn producer who ripped it off, that was Sean S Cunningham. And, uh, he actually used to be Wes Craven's go-to producer. They made last house on the left together. So not surprising. I think he also had a hand in Nightmare on Elm Street as well. Last Um, House on the Left is the most disturbing movie I've ever partially (laughs) seen in my life. Yeah, it's up there. It's yeah. Yeah. 
Last House on the Left, the most disturbing movie I'm pretty sure I've only ever read the description of. (laughs) It's only a movie? In my life. I'm not even sure I've ever actually watched any of it, but go ahead. (laughs) Yeah. So that's that's basically my... I, I should probably actually read all the book it's a it's a hard read I'll, i will say that it's an academic read but uh i do recommend it. it's pretty cool if you want to learn about like where all this sort of horror movie theory comes from it's very interesting it's uh it's about horror and gender basically uh chuck i think you would like it i probably would yeah um so moving along let's talk a little bit about the characters so like i said sydney prescott i i, I think I've, I've talked a lot about her. I am fascinated by her. I think Neff Campbell is so great in that role as her. Um, I also don't think uh, the characters who are so frequent that don't get enough love would be Gail and Dewey, who also bring something new and refreshing to the slasher movie because they're both very funny and very charismatic and a lot and very charming and also bring a different kind of critique uh, that the movie is making about at least at the time, it actually seems kind of dated today, tabloid media. Mm-hmm. Um, they talk a lot about, at least in, I don't know, was, did they talk about OJ in this movie? I can't remember. I think it's mostly in the I second love, movie. I love Stu. Well, I, mean, I love Matthew Lillard and anything he does. Stu is interesting because yeah. it seems like, I and I don't know this for sure, I think Wes Craven just let him do whatever he wanted. Like, he is off the wall with charisma and it's and it's genius because you would think that since he turns out to be one of the killers you would think they were like no be subtle like be under the radar but he's like no he's the most out there character in the movie he's the one everyone's imitating right <laughs> yeah and he gets the i mean i remember the second time i watched the movie it was at my cousin's house and in the middle of it like a whole bunch of his friends just randomly showed up and we were in the basement watching the movie and um I remember somebody laughing and they said that they're like, even Stu even dies funny. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Cause he gets the TV yeah, dropped. Yeah. And has so... this little... yeah. <laughs> but even uh, before that, when he, when they stab him on purpose and he's like, oh, you went too deep, man. <laughs> like even all that part of it. Yeah. I uh, actually, I remember watching us with my dad and him just cracking up laughing when he's on the phone with Sydney, when she's hiding, he's like, did you really call the police? <laughs> he's like, my mom's so mad at me. My mom and dad are no, so my mad dad's at me. gonna be so mad. <laughs> yeah, that that I have to say that Stu, first of all, Matthew Lillard. This movie introduced me to him. Yeah, me like, too. I had seen him in other stuff, but I didn't realize. Oh, yeah, who hackers. He was. I mean, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'd seen him in other stuff, but I didn't know who he was until Scream, and even this stupid scooby-doo movies i love because of matthew lillard i just watched them again with my kids i watched them again with both my kids and i loved them without a paddle dumbest one loved them um all because of him but i also would argue that he was the most disturbing frightening and creepy part of the movie to me yeah because the other guy seems like a psychopath like, let's be honest. The second you realize, even though they, like Chuck said, they tell you right away and then they lead you off track. But the second you realize he's a killer, you're like, well, yeah, look at him. But Matthew Lillard, when it happens at the end, he's like Joker level insane. Like, yeah. this is a guy who 
was just a goofball off the wall. Everybody thought he's a lunatic. He's just running around like a fool. And you realize he's murdering people in his spare time. Like, literally, what does he do when he's not acting like an idiot? He stabs people with knives. Yeah. Like, it was frightening to realize that he was part of what was happening. Yeah, he was, was probably the... the one that killed Casey. Yeah, what was his motive? Yeah, which... Does he mention what his motive is? Peer pressure. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Peer, yeah, peer pressure. <laughs> what's, what's messed up, it does get a little real, though, when you start, like, considering that just in a few years we had Dylan Klebold and Eric I was just, Harris. Yeah, who, I was just thinking that. like, fit, Who fit the archetypes of these two guys. Yeah. Totally. And, yeah, and, like, even Skeet Ulrich, like, yeah, Stu is, like, scary in that sort of, like, he's not taking anything seriously kind of way, while Skeet Ulrich is, like, doing the evil look, like, up, looking up through his eyes at Sydney and tilting his head and stuff. Like, okay, well, he's trying a little too hard. He just all of a sudden went insane. No, no. But Stu is just no, like, Stu. we're going to kill you. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, it's, to me, the scariest idea is somebody who legitimately has no concept of what they're doing is wrong. He's just having a good old time. Yeah. Like watch a few movies, take some notes. Yeah. It's insane. But we, we have to talk about the uh, opening part too, because that's genius and part of what made the whole movie. It's, it's so, I watched this movie in the daylight and by myself. And I was still creeped out when I was watching when I was a kid. Oh, and it's, so it's just so effective. It's it's just all building tension. And the way and and, I, and I'm only one of the reasons why I don't like the sequels is because they never return the voice on the phone to what it was in like that scene and even kind of throughout the movie, which is like toying with you, not just like yelling <laughs> expletives at you over the phone, you know. But that was yeah, that was pure genius. And yeah. only one other movie that I've seen, only one other movie has a opening that is that intense, that frightening. And the movie itself, cheesy, dated, beyond belief. But I swear to you, the opening scene is still just as good, is when a stranger calls back. Yeah, you if showed you me watch that scene. The opening scene. If you watch the opening scene of When a Stranger Calls Back, obviously Wes Craven was referencing horror movies. That was his point he was oh, Kevin and there's no point, doubt yeah. in my mind but there there's no doubt in my mind that when a stranger calls back is an inspiration to the opening of scream it absolutely is yeah. um but but that opening scene i've heard so many different people account for it that i'm sure part of it is myth but at this point they all verify it so it's as much truth as it is myth is that like Drew Barrymore came up with that idea at like midnight and called and said, look, I have an idea because she was supposed to be Sydney. Right. Yeah. Which is why like JP said, somebody told him the main character dies in the first five minutes. That was the whole point is Drew Barrymore supposedly woke up at like midnight called and said, look, I don't want to be Sydney. I'll be in your movie, but I want to die right away. Because that's what's going to make it. Because she has, like, producing credit on this movie or something. Hmm. Um, and well, she Psycho. came up with this. Yeah, yeah it, well, I mean, it is. Psycho's the other, only other movie, I was going to say that. Psycho's the only other movie, like, before that, that really did that. It took the big mainstream person, and it killed him right away and threw everybody off. And Drew Barrymore woke up and said, holy crap, that's what we need to do with this one. 
you want me in the movie, I want to die right away because everybody's going to go. And why you didn't see Ghostface, JP, is because the preview to the movie was all Drew Barrymore. Yeah. They made it look like you're going to go watch Drew Barrymore in a movie. Uh-huh. And it was on purpose that you showed up to watch her and she dies. And you're like, what the crap? And it throws off. Like, you go from that point on, you're like, I literally have no concept or map to where this is going to play out. Like, anything could happen because they threw off all expectation by killing her off, like, five minutes into the movie. Yeah. By the way, I think it's it's funny. If they did that now, people would just be mad. Because I I just remember when Godzilla 2014 came out, everybody was just mad that... that, um, that Brian Cranston was killed within the first act of that movie. Oh, and yeah. they're all like, I was duped. I saw it because of Brian Cranston. But at the same time, Chuck, to go back to your whole talk about how this all led to like the prestige TV nonsense um, is like Game of Thrones and all these shows that became famous for like, oh, we'll just kill off your favorite character five seconds after it starts. Right. Um, it all starts after Scream. I think Shasha point out um, a character that I think uh, kind of makes this movie what it is, who also sort of represents a sort of disaffectedness, is uh, Rose McGowan as Tatum. Yeah. Uh, who my friend sent me a message the other Such day. Such a crush she, on her when I was a teenager. Oh, yeah, dude. My friend sent me a message the other day because she, she was watching it. And she, she, she said uh, Rose McGowan is dressed like a character from Clueless in this movie. Hmm. <laughs> it is kind of funny because she does stand out amongst everybody else in the way she's dressed. She's very funky, even for 90s standards. Um, yeah. And also, speaking of how characters dressed, uh, how how Stu is dressed throughout the movie, that's how I used to dress in high school. He was my fashion icon. Cargo <laughs> pants and sweaters. That's how I dressed. And when I was living in Orlando, at least. Um, like the beige turtleneck sweater at the end. Yeah, it wasn't a turtleneck, but yeah, I had a sweater to look just like it, and yeah. I had cargo pants just like his. I think because he also shopped at Old Navy. Um, that was yeah, that was your that was your ins- it, it was your inspiration where when I was living in Orlando. In Orlando, yeah. <laughs> oh, and then you moved to then you moved to West Palm at Summit, and your inspiration became Xander. Yeah. Who basically <laughs> is Stu as a good guy, but carry on. Yeah. Um. But uh, yeah, so there's there's that. Um, I don't know, let's go. I don't really have anything else to add. Let's go on to legacy character. Unless everyone wants to say anything about Rose McGowan, she was pretty awesome. Although I, apparently at this time, this is like when she was also being abused by Harvey Weinstein, which is kind of messed up. Yeah. Um, that's not kinda. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's. I mean, that's another legacy of Scream, right? This was made during the the height of the Weinstein era, but because of the the Weinstein era of the nineties. Now, was she was she with Marilyn Manson at this time? I think that I think that was after this. Okay, significantly after. I'm not sure. I don't remember. Um, but yeah, so let's. That's a good idea, Chuck. Let's get into the legacy. I think we're. I think we've we've made time for that. Well, we, I mean, we talk, we touch on some things with it. I, I, my question about the legacy, just one that, note that I made that I wanted to bring up is, was this, is this the movie that seeded the change to make the nerd the hero? Because I don't both, know. because Billy, both Billy and Randy are like nerds. They know their, they know their trivia. They know all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But 
you know, Randy, Randy comes across as like, he's like his nerd, his nerd knowledge makes him a sage rather than like the butt of jokes. And yeah. by, it's definitely by the sequel. He's definitely treated as like a sage. Um, I just can't think of too many movies prior to this where the nerd was given as much like importance. Other, I mean, other than like, you know, things like revenge of the nerds or whatever that, that at least in horror like, movies, maybe. Okay. Cause I, it's, it's, it's very interesting, right? That, you know, the nerd is the nerd, the nerd's knowledge is what people rely on in the movie and is what helps people survive. And this isn't the same movie where the Fonz is treated like a buffoon. Yeah. And that, like, he has become, like, this is, like, what the Fonz would have grown into, is if he had become a school principal, he would just be, you know, this character. And just, so it's almost like this, that metatextual thing of, like, this is where things are shifting and changing as a society. Yeah. Um, but I also sure. wonder if it sort of predicts the the two sides of the nerd. Right, the nerd as like lots of knowledge, kind of lovable character, but also dangerous. Sure, yeah, I think it's also kind of it, it might be establishing like the kind of character that Kevin Williamson was sort of fond of writing, and inspired a, sort of a lot of other characters at the time, which was the sort of knowledgeable, uh, nerdy kid who was not on the sidelines who was in, as cool, as involved as the other characters, right? He wasn't wearing, like, a pocket protector or anything. Yeah. It's kind of... I mean, it's interesting, too, that as, as we think of this this trend of teenage horror movies that all spawned in reaction to this, how they all... Um, how they, they, they carried the tropes of Scream, but, like, riffed on them. Because I'm just thinking about, like, the faculty, right? The faculty... Was written by the same Rand person. Yeah, but, like, the Randy character is Josh Hartnett, who... Right, like or is it? That's... Well, well, I mean, the the Randy character, I would say, or would Elijah be Wood. Elijah Wood, and yeah, Elijah oh, right. Wood and Stokely, my favorite character in the movie. Is it Stokely? Is, it is like a so Stokely supposed to be like a a closet sci fi nerd? That is it bad that I completely forgot that Elijah Wood is in that movie, and I remember <laughs> Josh Hartnett. Yeah, it's funny. Um, I mean, I think like every like I mean, there's like three nerds yeah, in that movie, were... like. That's right. Never Elijah mind. Wood and Clea Duvall is Stokely because they have that whole conversation about uh, invasion of the body snatchers and stuff. Right, right, right. But that's like I said. That um, I mean, Kevin Williamson also wrote that movie. He 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 had yeah. he's a nerd himself. Um, I, I didn't go into how this movie how he came up with this uh, script. Uh, it's actually kind of funny. He was alone, uh, house sitting in Palm Springs, California, and he was watching a true crime documentary about uh, a serial, serial killer in Florida. Um, who was it? Some college campus strangler or something. Uh, and it kind of freaked him out. Got, that's a dime a dozen down there. Yeah. <laughs> it kind of freaked him out. Uh, and he armed himself with a kitchen knife. And like he was hearing noises and stuff. And it was just like he was just scaring, scaring himself. And he uh, called a friend to keep him company while he was, like, inspecting the house holding this kitchen knife. And the, he and the friend were just kind of going back and forth. And all of a sudden, he started. they started talking about, like, their favorite scary movies. And they were talking about Halloween and stuff. And that's kind of how – that's what inspired him to sit down and write a script called Scary Movie, uh, which eventually became Scream. I um, – let's, let's take a moment, too, just to talk about the film and its use of the telephone – Oh yeah, 
Because I don't know if there's a, if there's a movie that uses was... a telephone to quite the same extent as this, and how it like comes to the end of the landline as right to the point where it was suspicious that Billy had a cellular telephone. Right. What are you doing with right. a cellular telephone, son? <laughs> um. Yeah. I mean, it's. You know, I mean, just as we're talking about this, I was trying to think because you know they're they're making a new screen movie, and I was just trying to think of like they can't do the phone gag anymore. I know it's it's strange. Um, they, I mean, like Scream Four, they're using iPhones and webcams and stuff, and it's like, eh, eh, I don't know. Um, I mean, the, the 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 ringing of the phone is an iconic sound for this movie. Totally, yeah, and. And that sense of the phone interrupting your piece and interrupt the, the interruption of it, it you know, it in it's of in and of itself is violent in a way, right? Because I mean, this is something like Miss Manners said. It's like the phone is intrinsically rude; it insists upon itself, right? It bl- it blasts into your life, hmm. and so the idea that it would, you know, you know, sort of cut into what you're doing is a great metaphor of like the killer and you know the whole thing of like. On, you know, and this is at the time when like unwanted calls were starting to really become a thing. You know, spam. You know, before we'd have spam. Um, it just sort of piggybacks on it. It's, just, it's kind of brilliant. It's kind of brilliant use of technology. Yeah. Uh, and at this point, it was the first time that cordless phones were ubiquitous, and so that the idea of somebody being able to walk around a room while on the phone, right? You know, as a common image, not just something that rich people could do, was also something that you know we hit that moment. Um, and there's definitely a scene where Gail has that giant Zach Morris phone. Yes. Does make an appearance. Yes. <laughs> um, she beats Randy with in the face. This is a Nokia. Yeah. <laughs> Nokia is the avenging girl. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I and, and I mean, we again, like we touched on the very beginning, this this launched so like this wave for like five years yeah i mean Um, it it was like every like it was like who's who of teen actors were in horror films and like i even made a joke while matt was talking i don't know if anybody caught it but there was like i mean they even did a they even did like a slasher episode of boy meets world um Um, they yeah that's a great episode uh also kind of weird because it's like it's definitely one of those like fever dream episodes right and they have massive killer and it's like himself yeah it, it starred um Jennifer Love Hewitt, didn't it? I don't remember. It's been so long like, since I've seen that. And I don't remember. Well, she was. If I'm wrong, edit this out. But she was. I know what you did last summer, right? Yeah. Her and Sarah Michelle. Yeah. Keller. It start. She was the main character in that episode of Boy Meets World, and I don't remember if there was a connection, like she was dating somebody on the show too. Mm-hmm. But that was a big thing when it happened. But that slasher episode of boy meets world was her as one of the leads in it so just yeah. a side note yeah can i can i just say like i, I probably mentioned on this content on this podcast before but kevin williamson was such a pop culture a-bomb uh because he wrote both scream and like a few horror movies that were kind of influential at the time as well as dawson's creek which was also like a huge cultural force um, a show that I didn't watch because, you know, I wasn't into that kind of stuff. Um, oh, I watched it. <laughs> um, so I do have to say, if you, I do have to say, wait, if you never watched Dawson's Creek, 
See if you can find on YouTube just the episode of I Spit in the Face of Education. Um, okay. I, I have you all know that starting in November, Dawson's Creek will be on Netflix. Oh, great. <laughs> it just happened because I happened to see like one of those lists of what's coming to Netflix this morning. It just um, happens because he set like a Google alert for Dawson's Creek, but carry on. <laughs> Diehard Dawson's Creek fan, yes. It's really funny because I, uh, I think we touched on the fact that the reason why I hated Dawson's Creek was because everyone thought that I was trying to be like Dawson when I was in high school because Dawson wanted to be a filmmaker. And so I would tell people I want to go to film school and become a filmmaker. They'd be like, oh, you're trying to be like Dawson? I'm like, I, shut up. No. But Dude, then I, but then I, we were like, you should have you should have just gone with it because chicks were into Dawson. <laughs> I know, right? One of my friends was rewatching it when we were in college. They were rewatching Dawson's Creek. And I remember just finding it to be insufferable and just so much whining going on. Yeah, it's um, – But it's really telling that Kevin wrote these characters. That's why – because I've always felt that there was, like, a similarity between Dawson's Creek and Scream and those kinds of movies. Oh, yeah, totally. Um, There's a self-awareness. Their characters are way too smart. These, yeah, I mean, all these teen all these teen actors, like, suddenly blew up because of these movies and these shows. Um, kind of fascinating. It was, like, sort of like, you know, which one was going to be in what horror movie. I think um, they all were. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Eventually, even throughout the 2000s and stuff. Even Katie Holmes, she was in uh, Disturbing Behavior. Yeah. Wasn't she also in Miss, Teaching Mrs. Tingle? She was. Yes, she was. That's true. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Um, I about that. By the way, can I just make an embarrassing admitment while you brought that up for like the second time? What? I liked that movie, and now I'm going back to my silence. <laughs> I haven't seen the movie in ages. Like the only disturbing behavior for Katie Holmes was marrying into Scientology. Yeah, she got out. She's good. She's all right. She got out. She's free. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, it's one of these things where we've hit this moment with this movie where, like, we could say everything, but we need to say nothing. I guess it's just. Well, it I I, like... I think it's interesting the time it came out in, and that's that's what's always fascinated me how perfectly timed it was because mm. horror was going through some really interesting moments and it started with silence of the lambs winning like every Oscar. Right. Uh, and because of that studios were trying to make prestige horror like one, seven. Yeah. One studio in particular tried to do, tried to do a, their own dark universe. Uh, which was Sony, and they're the ones that made Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula, uh, the the uh, uh, Kenneth Branagh's uh, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, the Jack Nicholson Wolf movie, uh, which is bonkers. Um, and they were all not great. Although I do love Bram Stoker's Dracula, I I think it's a great film, and Wolf is probably fun on its own just because it's insane. Um. But, uh, yeah, they were trying to make prestigious horror films. And the slasher was pretty much done with. And they were pretty much... Straight-to-video type stuff. Straight-to-video, all sequels, you know. Um, But then, you know, came along Scream. It's the perfect time to kind of revive that. And then the the prestigious horror movie was never to have been seen again. (laughs) They still have not made them. Shape of Water, right? Shape of Water. Not until recently with A24 doing their thing. Bloomhouse. Yeah, A24 is definitely bringing that back. Yeah. Although that, I mean, some critics are, are, are predicting that that's sort of on its way out already. But we'll yeah. see. Like I, the I've the Innkeeper it. and Black Coat's Daughter. Heck yeah, dude. Hereditary, Midsummer. 
Midsommar. Yeah, yeah, saw, the witch. Yeah. But, the Vivitch. But, um, <laughs> Green Room. But can, you, you said Jack Nicholson. I got a sidetrack for one second. Again, sorry. But it's October. So, of course, I'm looking for all the fun, scary movies that I love. Yeah. And can I just say that when I went to buy a certain movie, it was the first time that I found out. And JP, don't laugh at me because you're a movie buff. So, like, forgive me for this. But I had no clue that, like, Jack Nicholson, one of his first leading roles was Little Shop of Horrors. Yep. Until I was looking for the Rick Moranis Little Shop of Horrors. And that one came up first. And I watched the trailer and was like, holy crap, and he's insane in that movie. Yeah, I only saw the dentist scene. The Mm. preview was the dentist scene where he wants his teeth pulled out. He's the Bill Um, Murray character, or the character later played by Bill Murray. Okay. Yeah, yeah, but it's insane. Like, I I had no idea that's where he came from. Yeah. And he's in, like, the dentist chair going, aren't you gonna pull any out? Don't give me any Novocaine, because then I won't experience it. And yeah. he's talking like that and getting his teeth ripped out. That's how that you know, and that that's you actually kind of bring up an interesting thing that happened in horror during that time is that is where most of where of the prestigious filmmakers we know today, who are all boomers, uh, they all got their start making those Roger Corman produced movies. Little Shop of Horrors was a Roger Corman produced film, uh, and Jack Nicholson uh, started out his career acting in those movies. Didn't James Cameron work with Roger Corman? Uh, yes, briefly with Piranha Two, I think. Yeah. but he walked off that movie. Well, right. Yeah. But it it's insane to me how many you're talking about the people who made the movies. On another level, though, it's insane to me how many actors and actresses that are like the top considered Academy Award winners, movie stars that we have today like a Brad Pitt, a Leonardo DiCaprio. Um, all of them got their start in these um, yeah, horror horrible movies. horror yeah. movies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like Critters 3 was Leonardo DiCaprio, mm-hmm. and Jennifer Aniston was Leprechaun. Like, it's insane. And, you know, I can just picture slimy Bob Weinstein, not as bad as Harvey, but pretty bad as in himself. Just trying to like use that as an example with like all of these WB actresses, like you know, uh, all all famous stars start out in slasher movies, so why not be? And I still know what you did last summer, Brandy. You know. Ah, <laughs> uh, JP, you just ruined you just ruined my fascination with it to think that like that was then used against like women for years. Uh, I still know what you did last summer. You know, and here's the thing, guys. I don't, I'm not, I don't know, because I'm such a fanboy, I'm going to watch it anyway. But Scream 5, at, at some point, you just got to be like, haven't we said everything we've always wanted, to, we, we've all, we've already wanted to say? Like, it, no. Does, here's the thing. Does, does the existence of Scream 2 rob Sydney? of her moment at the end of the first screen where she says, not in my movie. Uh, yes. Pro- probably. Um, I don't think, no, no one of my no. big critiques about the movie is that like, no one has moved on character wise. They're kind of the same characters, but I think you're, yeah, in a way. Yeah. 
Um, but, but, but but I think this plays into but I think this plays into sorry, but I think it plays into what both of you are saying. Yes, I think it does in a way. I also think that the sequels get worse. Um, I remember the last one being okay, but honestly, I don't remember Scream 4, so I don't want to actually hold to that at all. But if Scream 5 can somehow miraculously pull off what Scream 1 did while also commenting on itself because it is responsible for why we're getting a Scream 5, then in theory, Scream 5, which isn't going to happen, let me start with that, but in theory, Scream 5 would be the single most game-changing horror movie because it would comment on the fact that we created this, we screwed it up, we are now trying to address it, and we hope you'll forgive us, and somehow we'll pull it off in a way that wins us all over again. Because like Scream 1 was made for everybody that didn't like horror movies, and the rest of us already got it and loved it, Scream 5 would have to be made for all the people it won over and the rest of us who said, why did you lose us? Bring it full circle. We got H2O out of this. <laughs> that's true. That is true. Yeah, that's... Oh, in that movie. But, but H2O <laughs> should be credited to the fact that H2O is, by the way, H2O's post-Scream. Yeah. So very fitting with our ed- episode. Mm-hmm. And I would credit it to Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah. It was her coming back and deciding to do it. Yeah. And they ignore the sequels, don't they? Or at least the yeah. the ones after, too. Yeah. It has okay. Buster Rhymes. As opposed to the latest one. No, that's, re- that's Resurrection. All of them except for. Okay. Um, okay, yeah. So, yeah, H2O. So, like, an actual, like, movie that it was riffing off of got pulled into that fold. And even... I think even Josh Hartnett said, I'll be right back. Or no, some other character, some other teenager. Yeah. Michelle Williams, something, I don't know. Uh, that's, uh, yeah. Weird. Well, and let's also not forget, I mean, this stuff flashed out really fast, right? Because Scream 3 has Jay and Silent Bob in it. Yeah, Scream 3. Man, that movie is rough. Yeah, so it's you know everything everything eventually overstays its welcome because capitalism got a capitalism well yeah but, exactly that's why they 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 cranked out scream 2 in a year know, what do you expect either... to get out of it you know and the reason one of the reasons why it, it didn't do so well is because they had to do like massive reshoots and uh rewrites on the set because the script leaked online and everyone found out who the killers were <laughs> and so that's how they came up with Mrs. Loomis or no, 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 that's not true. Mrs. Loomis was always a killer, but she was mentoring Sydney's roommate and cotton became the killer in the movie. It's, it's strange. It, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, you either die the hero or live long enough to become the villain. <laughs> yeah. Um, so and the reason why I don't like the sequel so much is because it's it's scream exists in its place and time, and, and that's right. what it's about. And that's why I just I'm not crazy about the sequels. The sequels become about scream, right? Um, literally, literally, because the scream is in the like the movie exists in its universe. Yeah. Um, and then um. Yeah, which I would say scream just as it was responsible for revitalizing the horror and slasher genre, it's also responsible for 
putting us on this endless meta BS movie nonsense that came after it. Yes, that is true. Yeah, it, 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 which wasn't necessarily Scream. I think Scream was in that sort of line of succession. I think it also kind of started with Tarantino, who was also working closely with Harvey Weinstein. So it's 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 a very '90s thing that influ- that kind of echoes throughout the genre as we progress through the river of time, mm-hmm. leaving it up to movies to movies like Shaun of the Dead and even like what we do in the shadows that came out a couple years ago. So, yeah, but don't bring up movies that actually get it right because that <laughs> undermines my confidence. Right, right, right. Well, I mean, it's gotten so bad that even I mean, Star Wars is about Star Wars now. Yeah. I mean, as much holy, as I love The Last Jedi, crap. I can't ignore the fact that, you know, the sacred Jedi texts are the exact number of books that are all of the Star Wars movies up to that point. You know, it's... <laughs> I didn't know that. That's funny. Yeah, if you look at the books on the shelf, there's there's seven books on the shelf. And... Okay. Yes, Matt? J- JP, the only hope for Scream 5 was if it was done by Edgar Wright. Yeah. Or Quentin Tarantino. Can you imagine? Quentin Tarantino did an interview a few years ago, and he admitted that they offered him Scream. And for some reason, he didn't take it. I don't I don't know why. And he was really excited when Wes Craven did it, but he also said that he felt that Wes Craven didn't go far enough with it. That he could have gone to the moon and back, you know, then, I, but he really held back. And I was like, oh, gosh, don't make my mind do yeah, that. See, I, but, no, but, but JP, but I feel... Sorry, but I feel like that was the correct choice because if you went to the moon and back, it would have been a movie for us again, not a movie that won everybody else over. Well, and I so think that, I, I just feel like. Well, and I also think that what what how Scream works is that it takes it takes a lot of the similar like that that meta wheelhouse stuff that was going on with Pulp Fiction and other things that Tarantino were doing, but it sort of put it in a believable world that looks like our world. You know, Tarantino's world. Aside from aside from um, um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, does not look like our world. Yeah, it's very and, heightened. Yeah, and and I think Scream works because it's believable. It's grounded. It's yeah. It's yeah. I mean, like I said, it, it it the most effective thing about it is the first the first sound of the movie is a phone ringing. Right. We've all been there. We've all been there alone in our home, and somebody calls and. Well, not all of us, because if you're born after a certain generation, you just like look at your phone and be like, oh, nope. Um, <laughs> but speaking of, sorry, this just popped in my head. I just learned something. There's a video that was making the rounds asking about people born before 2000 and after 2000 about what is the phone gesture? Like when you're, you're going to talk about talking on the phone with someone. So it turns out if you're born before 2000, and I say to you, like, how would you pantomime talking on the phone? You're going to do the shaka, right? Yeah. People born after 2000 do this. Huh. That's funny. I said it was kind of interesting. Yeah. We live in changing times. The times are changing. Mm-hmm. As, mm-hmm. as uh, Free Will and Bob Dylan put it. That's right. That's right. Can I just say, yeah. it, uh, while you guys were talking... I was trying to figure out how that gesture even represents talking on a phone until I realized, oh, it's just like you put the C next to your head like you're holding a phone up to your ear and mouth as opposed to your hand being the phone. Um, it, I actually had to figure that out while you were talking. <laughs> can we talk Can we talk about the uh, 
I want to find out. I want to find out what was up with um, what was um, Tatum. Yeah. I want to find out because the, the movie, the, the, the climax movie takes place at Tatum's house, right? That's where they're having the party. No, it's Stu's house. Oh, Stu's house. Okay. Yeah. Did did Stu go out? Okay, this has a whole new interesting layer. Did Stu go out and buy some crazy overpowered garage door opener <laughs> just to kill his girlfriend? I think Tatum because, is just is this very petite. Because no garage door is that powerful unless it's like some kind of industrial thing. Yeah, I, that that is true. I mean, that is kind of the one unbelievable thing. Even as a kid, I was like, yeah, <laughs> kind of scary. But you know, I don't think I've ever seen a garage door that. And they usually stop when they hit some kind of interference. So like <laughs> when her head hits the top, it, it should go back down. Yeah. I, I I don't disagree with that, but hey, you know what? We got to kill them somehow. <laughs> um, I mean, it is it is a very suspenseful scene, right? She's trying to get out a cat door. Yeah, you know what other scene that kind of sticks out? You know, there's a bunch of things about about that that happen in that act that really like fascinates me. One of them being like, there's a group of teenagers, right? Usually in most horror movies, they would all be dead but they all leave the house and they all survive and they don't die (laughs) like they don't they're all drinking and doing drugs or whatever um but then they they just leave (laughs) usually in in most slasher movies like sydney would have ran into all their dead bodies like hanging put put like in a closet or hanging off a whatever but i i honestly believe that was a purposeful part of that whole meta done in the right yeah, it's, way yeah that's what i'm saying aspect because because yeah it should have been like 200 dead bodies posed in this insane like party like scene where they're all standing around but they're dead and like missing eyes and heads and but the fact that they all live is like oh yeah that doesn't mean anything yeah and that's uh, why i've but, that's 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 why I, I i've been making the argument all right i make the argument that you know, horror movies all have rules to follow. Like vampires have rules, werewolves have rules, zombies have rules. The rules in Scream, you don't fall if you 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 have to break them to survive. As opposed to like a vampire rule where you have to like follow I, them. Yeah. No, I love that argument. The whole point to Scream is to purposefully, not accidentally, but to purposefully break the rules. Yeah. Like to be the rebel who says, "Forget you, I'm gonna be me," is how you survive Scream. It's Kierkegaard's leap of faith. Rules of horror. And I also, I also have to say, just because I have two seconds to interrupt, um, I had no idea it was Rose McGowan until today. Sorry. Really? <laughs> Are you serious? I, I have no other comment. I just have to say that. Go ahead. That's T I L. What? Forgive me. Go ahead. T-I-L. Oh, yeah. I, had to look, I had to look had to look on IMDb to make sure that like am I losing my mind? And I am, but go ahead. That's I mean, it's that's kinda why she has a career is because of that movie, but And Charmed. Yeah. Well I mean she got charmed because of Scream, right? That's like, true. Yeah, good point. Yeah, yeah. That, 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 that's Robert. that's what I mean is you guys while you guys are talking, I literally realized, holy crap, that's why she's in the show Charmed. So um yeah, carry on. That's funny, but it's it's Kierkegaard's leap of faith, right? Like, what's that? Uh, you would you would call me out on it. Uh, <laughs> leap of faith. Kierkegaard's, 
Kierkegaard's leap of faith is that thing where it's like, it's um, well, here's here's how I kind of know about it and where it sticks in my mind is Chuck Palahniuk talks about it in when he refers to somebody sitting in the emergency exit row of an airplane and struggling the whole time with not pulling the lever that the leap of faith is sort of rooted in the idea that God put, God put parameters on Adam. And then once those parameters are put there, there's like this thing in your mind. It's like, I have to do it. Like I have to break the rule. I have to do something. And that that also feeds into faith in that, faith is stepping out on something that's uncertain and unproven. And it's also a lot of times breaking the rules because, you know, if it, if it, if it's tidy, it's not faith. If it's guaranteed, it's not faith. Yeah. That's, um, oh, that's really interesting. Cause um, I, cause it's like, it's, yeah. I'm going to throw it back to what I was saying before about Sydney is that these rules are containing Sydney in that mm-hmm. final girl trope. And by staying within these parameters, she's having to sort of languish in the trauma. Because that's, that's like her whole thing in the movie. It's like she cannot get past um, her mom dying and like why she died. Because uh, she might, she was probably, to, to her mind, she was sleeping with Cotton Weary. Even though she was, I mean, she was. But he didn't kill her. But the the whole like town rumor was that like she was like sleeping around with everybody right and the whole reason why she's not being intimate with billy is because she doesn't want to become her mom she she says i don't want to be the bad seed and so like she oh she she kind of bursts out of those parameters by breaking the horror movie rules which are used to contain anyway because they're very conservative rules anyway you know so it's sort of a, a slap in the face to the idea that you have to be good to survive a horror movie right a good right. like like an angel the the Madonna horror trope, right? Which is wh- which is why which is why the existence of the sequel to me is an affront to the message of this movie because yeah. it allows her to escape her trauma like not in my movie that's her line right. where the sequels are all about her still languishing in her trauma. Yeah, guys, after listening to that podcast about Halloween, can I just say there's no way that's not also a subconscious comment on jamie lee curtis and the fact that like she didn't want to be her mom who was the scream queen in horror movies <laughs> yeah and yet found her own way to be the scream queen in horror movies i mean she she when... they, they came up with the scream queen because of because of jamie lee curtis yeah. she was called the scream yeah queen. i mean she was the scream queen yeah. and halloween is playing throughout scream the movie so oh yeah there's yeah. no way they didn't totally think about movie. that there's no way they didn't think about that when they wrote a character who's all about trying not to be her mom until she realizes I can just be me and do whatever. And even if it follows the quote unquote same path, I'm still just me. There's no way it's not, it's coincidence. Just not possible. Not possible. Hmm. So, and and that's why I don't like the idea of sequels to scream because you can't really Mm -hmm. go beyond that. What else are you going to say that that is going to capture the zeitgeist that is going to, permeating the culture those the sequels haven't done that at all they're just sequels it's just more meta humor and slasher goodness and how much how much crazier can we make it what what celebrities can we can we kill off in their first five minutes you know like right it's just become its own its own set of cliches now like saturday night Night. yeah exactly yeah but that's why i feel like the only way the scream movies could be 
reinvigorated and then they need to end is if they have a sequel that actually finds a way to address that, comment that, forgive that, and move beyond it in a way we're all like, wow, and then keep going. <laughs> Here's how they do it. Here's how they do it. They they do a Scream movie, but it deals with the fact that Ghostface is now in the real world. Like Wes Craven's new nightmare? Yeah, that was, I'm trying to make a new nightmare joke. <laughs> <laughs> Which I also have to take a second to comment just for listeners if we have a listener out there who's actually young enough to not be familiar with all this, which I doubt because you wouldn't listen to us talk because we're like your grandparents, but um, the TV show Scream 1 and 2 is worth a watch. Yeah, it's not bad. And, I, I didn't hate it. And the TV, the TV movie follow-up also worth a watch. The TV um, season 3, skip it completely. Yeah, But I, I just have to say that. At least Ghostface but, comes back in that one. Yeah, but the but Scream One and Two, the MTV TV series on um, that went for two seasons and one TV movie made for TV movie. Yeah, in my opinion, were the perfect sequel follow up to Scream. Were they as good as Scream? No, but they were the perfect follow up. And then they did season three, which proved that nobody is outside of money wins. Okay, so that's a great place to end. Check out Scream. Uh, just check out Scream. Watch it for Halloween. Watch the sequels if you want to. They're, they're kind of fun in their own way, but they're not one nearly thing, as good as the first one. They are, right. they are what? fun. That's all they are. And then watch seasons one and two of Made for TV movie. Now yeah. go check because I'm honestly done talking. Yeah, sorry. I just One thing I realized we hadn't at all brought up in terms of personal experiences with Scream yeah. is we have not talked, JP, about the night we introduced this movie to my wife who famously hates horror films. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I don't remember. I to bring this up when we were talking about the uh, the opening sequence, because I we remember we had to tell her the opening sequence is so different from the rest of the movie. So if you can make it through the opening sequence, you'll be fine. The rest of the movie is completely different. It's more of a suspense movie. And I remember even to this day, she says that opening sequence is one of the most disturbing things she's ever watched in her life. It is. Well, yeah, well, my wife who hates horror movies still uses to this day scream as one of the reasons why she will not give any other movie i bring up a chance so. <laughs> uh your wife had such a different reaction than your ex-girlfriend who we also introduced it to um who who like hated every minute of it because she thought it was terrible just like it was a bad movie and then i just right. remember i just remember and i'll never forget it that when Sydney shoots Billy in the head and then says, not in my movie. She was like, this is dumb. <laughs> I was like, you know what? We don't need viewers like you. <laughs> I completely forgot all of that. <laughs> it was a miserable experience for me. I'm sure. <laughs> It must have been a miserable experience for me, and then I've put psychological blocks into it so I don't remember it anymore. <laughs> well, you're welcome. And it will probably manifest itself in some kind of disturbing way in a few weeks. Well, you're welcome. Thanks. Uh, so that's all the time we have for this Halloween edition of... Uh, of uh, I almost called it my, my show, Drag Me to Halloween. For this Halloween edition of Masters of Divinity... Uh, be sure to like and subscribe. Check us out on YouTube. Check us out on uh, check out our check out our SoundCloud, yo. Um, 
<laughs> we'd be we'd be rolling up in 2013 beamers and audis <laughs> um check out scream watch the series watch the tv series do whatever you want and have a wonderful halloween i want to thank father chuck and matt for making it out hey you're welcome and you know what you know what i wish i wish that i had thought of a name as creative as drag me to halloween as you have that is well done sir oh thank you very much and uh hey you know if you got some time uh, check out my my youtube channel uh, just a little 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 youtube search to drag me to halloween and uh i'm spending the next Seriously. handful of days uh reviewing some halloween movies uh, leading up to halloween Seriously though i'm gonna have to skip today Seriously, though. though i agree with, i agree with chuck the title is pure genius thank you and for the listener, seriously, check it out. Because if you like our podcast at all, even though Father Chuck is the one who birthed the idea, literally as much as I'm occasional Matt is fitting because I just got somehow like by gravity pulled into this podcast to begin with. Um, Father Chuck created it. But if you like anything about our podcast, it's probably because JP wrote it, posted it, Aww. or got your attention in the first place so check out his youtube because he's the genius behind anything you think is funny about our podcast posting well, no offense you. chuck but i think you'll agree no I, I totally agree he is the george harrison of our group yes <laughs> i don't quite know what that means but okay i'll look into that I, I don't quite know if you want to know what that means but carry on <laughs> i'm just saying he's the one who he's the one who's actually like he's the real genius so does, real... does that make you guys lennon and mccartney I'll yeah. let you guys fight over that. I, don't... I am a hundred. <laughs> I am a hundred percent okay with being either Lennon or McCartney. So go for it. Um, I, I think I want to be John Lennon, but I'm really Paul McCartney. I think I want you to be John Lennon because I want to be alive. Like carry on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the real question is, who's our Ringo? Hmm. Is it Funston? <laughs> Father. Father. <laughs> Oh, what if we start calling Father Fun Ringo, guys? That just like not even tell him why we're doing it. Yeah, just and Keelan is our piece best. No, Keelan is going to prove to be our yoke one day. But let's move past (laughs) that and talk about how (laughs) Chuck. Okay. All right. Listen, here's what's going to happen is in March when Keelan comes to visit me, what I'm going to do is I'm going to record this episode with you guys, but I'm just going to have him sit next to me the whole time and not say a word. Like the Rob Bell episode. That wouldn't wouldn't be hard because I think I've heard him say two words in the 30 years I've heard him. Go ahead. Oh, join us again next week. Uh, Have a wonderful Halloween. Good journey. Good journey, and it ain't spooky season. Good journey, and I love you, Caitlin. And yes, spooky season. Spooky journey.